play family because that's what families do. do. You know when you watch TV, do you watch separately? Like you go and sit in that chair. I don't, I don't know. So Nirvana's asking if you guys will move up. Good morning, everyone. Isn't it nice to be safe and dry inside when you can hear the roof, uh, the rain on the roof, wet out there, dry in here, cosy? How are you all this morning? Good. Well, we've been doing a series on spiritual detoxing, and that's all about exposing toxic, false, wrong beliefs. And um, today I'm going to just talk about uh, exposing some really bad beliefs about God around prayer. So we're going to um, tackle some worldviews here and get them in line with the Bible and with truth. Now I'm sure even though we are smaller in number here, there's still going to be quite a few of us um, that question whether our prayers are really necessary. Do we have the slide, uh, Brett? Thanks. Do our prayers really count for much? Is there much value in praying? And I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to be honest with yourself. Have you ever thought, like I have, well, that God is sovereign, he's all-powerful, so he has the power to do what he wants and when he wants and how he wants, so he doesn't really need me to pray, does he? God's going to do what he wants anyway, right? Have you thought those thoughts? Does an all-powerful God actually need me to pray? Who knows the saying, que sera, sera, what will be, will be? Anyone know that saying? Yes, a few of you there. Good. You're alive. You're awake. Um, it just means that the future is predetermined and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. So my prayers really aren't going to influence things much. So why bother praying? These are toxic beliefs. Really, really um, toxic because they affect our prayer life. I know that many of us do think this type of thought, that our prayers don't really count for much because it's reflected in our prayer life. Or should I say lack of prayer life. A lot of us don't pray. When God says pray, I want to know that my prayers will count, that they're going to have an effect that my prayers really matter. That's what is important to me. And I'm, I see a few people nodding, so I'm pretty sure it's important to most of you. Well, I believe that our prayers do really matter. And I'd go a step further and I'd say that our prayers um, are actually really necessary. They're absolutely needed for God to act here on earth. And so that's what we're going to talk about. 
But to do that, we have to go back to Genesis, right at the very beginning, and just understand what happened. So we've got the name Adam, Adam and Eve. They were created in the beginning of the world. But Adam, his name actually means man or human or human being. And in the Bible, when we read man in English, that word is actually Adam. So the point is that although in the beginning God was talking to Adam, he was Adam represents all of us. He represents all of man, okay? So what God intended for Adam, he actually also intends for you and me, for all generations, because his name means man, and he's representing us. So we're going to read from Genesis part of that, uh, the top or the bottom part, verse 28, we know that God made Adam and Eve, and there, the last paragraph, it says that God blessed Adam and Eve, and he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And I've highlighted a couple of words there, reign and govern. And in other translations, those words like reign, other translations use have dominion, rule over, be masters over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and planet Earth. And the word govern and other translations means to subdue, to, to like keep under and make subservient. So fill the earth and subdue it. Then these two verses actually confirm in, um, this whole rulership that God has given man. And this is important. That's why I'm laboring over it. And Psalm 8 verse 4 and 6 says, What is man that you remember him, the son of man that you look after him? You made him lord over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. Lord in other translations are like governor, manager. And then again in Psalm 115 verse 16 the heavens belong to our God. They, they are his alone. But he has assigned us, the earth, and put us in charge. It's pretty clear, isn't it, that God made man and said, rule over the earth, be masters over it, subdue everything under you. What God did here is that he made man the lords of the earth and he stepped back and it's almost like hands off. He stepped back and left rulership to Adam and Eve 
So all the decisions that um, needed to be made when you're ruling and reigning, he was leaving that to man. So right from the start, God has chosen to limit his influence here on earth strictly to working through man. Because he had given them the authority to be Lord over the earth and put us in charge. Right, so the earth was under Adam's control and how things developed on earth, for better or for worse, would depend on Adam's rulership. And we need to stop and think about that. If things were going to remain a paradise, like in the Garden of Eden, then that was because of Adam's governance, his decisions. But if things went, oh, AWOL, as we know they did, that also was because of Adam's governance and decisions. That's how thoroughly God has given rulership to Adam and mankind. He really honours that, working through man. Right, getting back to Adam and Eve in the garden. They were enjoying ruling and reigning and enjoying walking and talking with their heavenly dad. Enter Satan. And we all know what happened. Eve was tempted by the devil, um, and both Adam and Eve ate of the fruit that God had told them not to. And so, sin and rebellion, the curse of death, entered the scene. At this point, I know um, there have been arguments made saying, why didn't our all-powerful God just come and zap his lightning bolts and zap Satan to smithereens then and there and we wouldn't have had any of this pain and suffering and death? He could have, he could have put a stop to it right back then. Why didn't he? To understand that, um, why he didn't, we have to, you have to see what really happened here, what that monumental decision to eat the fruit actually did. And um, we need to read Luke 4, verses 6 and 7. This is where Jesus, um, after Jesus had been baptised, he went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and... Uh, Satan tempted him there. And the devil said to Jesus, I will give you authority over all these kingdoms and all their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I can give it to anyone I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Now this is important, and we're not to miss it, the devil said to Jesus that he would give Jesus all the authority over the kingdoms of the world. 
How could Satan do that? Because the authority had been delivered to him. Therefore, he could give it to whoever he wanted. Some other translations use that word delivered, um, translated into, uh, it has been given to me, it has been relinquished to me, it has been handed over to me, to Satan. The interesting thing is, that God didn't argue with Satan about that. He didn't argue that Satan didn't have the authority, because he did. Satan had the authority. Jesus didn't argue about that with Satan at all. It's true. Because when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, they lost that authority of governance and it went to Satan, the deceiving serpent. So Jesus knew that. He knew that um, the authority had been delivered to Satan. And in actual fact, there's three times in John's Gospel that Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world. Satan was now the ruler of this world. Not us anymore, because we chose to rebel against God. Um, we gave away our authority to Satan. And that's why Satan did not zap, I mean, that's why God did not zap Satan with a thunderbolt and burn him up. Because what happened was legal. It was permissible. It was, it was lawful. And God cannot go against his own laws of governance and justice. He can't violate man's choice either. So now we have a planet that's under the rulership of Satan. God has limited himself here on earth to working through man. We've already established that. So God needed a man to save mankind. Enter Jesus. Jesus was God's own son and he came to rescue us. It's Jesus who was God's plan to um, take back the lost authority from Satan and take it, he did. During his life on earth, Jesus wreaked havoc with, uh, with, with evil. He healed blind people. He released people from the curse of um, sickness. He rose, uh, raised people from the dead. You know, he tackled those evil forces head on. He preached the good news. And the kingdom of Satan was shaking because it was being taken by force. Then Jesus died on the cross and three days later he rose again. And he had the lost authority 
back in his hand. And we know this because the Bible tells us so. If we read Matthew verse 18, uh, Matthew chapter eight, 28 verse 18, this is when the disciples were up on the mountain and they were receiving the great commission from Jesus. And he said to them, All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So all authority had been taken back by the man, Adam, uh, Jesus, and, and he had it again. So Satan doesn't rule over mankind anymore. Jesus had the authority, and on top of that, he gave that authority to you and me. And that's the exciting part. Luke 10, 19. I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. You can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them, and nothing will injure you. But it cost the life of the man, Jesus, to take back that authority, that rulership that Satan had, to take it back and then give it back to us. And, and that fact, I reckon, proves beyond any doubt how God has limited himself to working through man. It needed a man, Jesus, to bring it back. Although Jesus was God as well, God and man, God couldn't just go in and zap like that because he would have violated his principle of working through us, uh, working on earth through us. But when I say he's limited himself, it does not mean that he has limited power. He has all power. He's almighty. He created the world and everything in it. His power is not in question here. It's more that he chose, has chosen to limit using his power except through man, through you and me. Can God intervene in our life situations with one word, with one blink of an eye? Yeah, he can, absolutely. He's almighty and all-powerful. But he will not. He's chosen not to until we ask him. That's how thoroughly he has, is, using our prayers and how thoroughly he uses man on earth. That's why our prayers matter so much. He works through our prayers, full stop. So somehow, our prayers release Jesus to work in the affairs of man. And this quote by John Wesley, I think, I love it. It says, God does nothing on earth save to believing prayer. God does nothing on earth save an answer, sorry, to believing prayer. 
That's powerful. When you realise he does nothing on earth, people, save an answer to believing prayer. Your prayers. That's pretty well. Um, I'm just going to briefly look at a few Bible stories that show this, that God limits himself to working through people. Um, in Genesis 18, this is the story that um, sees God negotiating with Adam, uh, Abraham rather, over whether or not he'll judge Sodom and Gomorrah, those the cities that he turned into salt, or destroyed rather. So here's Abraham and he's asking God, he will, will he spare those cities if he finds 50 righteous people living in, in, in them? And God agrees, yes, I'll spare those cities if I find 50 righteous people. And then Adam comes back again and he said, what if there are 45? 40. What if there are 30? What if there are 20? What if there are 10 righteous people? This is Abraham praying, negotiating with God. And each time, God says, yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and the, finally, they reach the 10 people. This example shows that God listens to prayer and acts accordingly when it's in line with his will. Um, First Kings, chapter 18. This is a story um, of where God is waiting for a man to pray so that he could send rain on the earth. <laughs> and Elijah was that man. It says in James um, chapter 5, verses 17 to 18, Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly and no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when Elijah prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Was it Elijah's or God's will for the rain to stop in the first place and then restart three and a half years later? It was God's will, and he initiated it. Um, in verse 1 of chapter 18, um, it says, In the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, Go, present yourself to King Ahab, and tell him, I will soon end the rain. So it's a story of how God spoke to Elijah, he initiated, God initiated. Elijah was the man that was listening. The man prayed and spoke and obeyed. And then God fulfilled those prayers through him. Daniel chapter 9. This is the story where God needed a man to pray so he could bring his prophecy to pass. The Israelites were captives in Babylon, but the prophet Jeremiah had predicted that 70 years of captivity would, they'd be in captivity 70 years, and then they would return to their homeland. This was predicted before this happened. 
Now Daniel, he was also a captive in Babylon, and he just happened to be reading that prophetic word from Jeremiah, I believe prompted by the Holy Spirit. He was reading that prophecy from Jeremiah, and he was prompted and convicted to pray and fast. That's what he did. He prayed, he fasted, God acted on the heart of the king, and the king released the Israelites to go back to their homeland, Israel. His prof- God's prof- prophecy was fulfilled, but he needed a man to pray it in. I love this quote. So I'm just going to read it as is. I couldn't have written it any better. It's from Paul Bilheimer, and it says, When it was time for the prophecy to be fulfilled, God did not fulfill it randomly outside of his program for prayer. He looked for a man on whose heart he could lay a burden of intercession. As always, God made the decision in heaven. A man was called upon to enforce that decision on earth through intercession and fasting. If they, uh, you wonder if there was no man that was listening to God, would they still be <laughs> captives in Babylon? You know, they, you wonder. But he found a man. He found Daniel. Uh, Daniel, yeah. And this is the last one I want to share, and it's. It's one that's really, um, well, it pulls at my heartstrings, really. It's from Ezekiel 22, where God looked for one man, just one man, so he could spare a whole people from judgment. It was a time when the people had rejected the Israel, Israelites had rejected God. They were worshipping idols. And idolatry was rife. Men are sleeping with their father's wives. They're sleeping with their neighbors' wives. They rape their own sisters. It's in the Bible. Um, Murder and injustice and oppression are commonplace. It's the norm. Yet despite all that wickedness, God still wants to spare his people from judgment. Can you feel his heart? He still wants to spare them. But he can't, because he can't find one intercessor to pray. Let's read it. Ezekiel 22, it's sobering stuff. Verses 30 to 31. I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. But I found no one. So now I will pour out my fury on them. I will heap on their heads the full penalty for all their sins. I, the Sovereign Lord, have spoken. That coming judgment was because of the people's sins. 
And yet it was really clear from this passage that it could have either been prevented or minimized in some way if God could have found one person to pray. You see, on one hand, we have a holy God, and he is truth. He is integrity itself. He can't excuse sin. He lovingly warns us, as he did with the people of Israel time and time again. He warned them, and he warns us lovingly. He prompts us to change, as he did to the Israelite people back then. But if we refuse to listen, then sin has to be judged. You know, if we refuse to listen and change, sin has to be judged. But we're, on the other hand, we have a, a God who is full of love and full of mercy and who takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I'll give a little Nancy paraphrase of this, of the scripture. God speaking, I am the sovereign God, I am a holy God, and sin needs to be punished, but my love and my heart is for my people, and I so desire to, to forgive if I had found just one person to pray for my people, then I could have spared them, but there was no one, so I had to punish them. That is an example of God really limiting himself to the prayers of man. He wanted to. <laughs> he wanted to extend forgiveness. He looked, he searched but he couldn't violate his, who he was. And I find this mind-blowing, really, that he, he limits to man uh, his actions here on earth to, to, to prayers and working with man. So it's quite amazing and quite scary, two sides. You know, uh, there are implications of this for our lives, our everyday lives, that means we have the awesome responsibility to pray and that our prayers really do change situations here on earth. Because if we don't pray for our family or our friends or our nation or our leaders, then it's like limiting God from moving in their lives. Gulp. That's a lot of responsibility there. Can be quite intimidating. But actually, there's another side to this, and it's not intimidating. But when we know that our prayers have the ability to change outcomes in people's lives, in our nations, but if we don't pray, then things turn out more in the favour of the kingdom of darkness, not the kingdom of light. So it's not meant to be condemning because the other side is this, that we have an awesome privilege to partner with God and to pray. Pray his will here. 
it's a wonderful privilege and it's joining hands with God and allowing him to pray through us prompt us so that we can redeem the lives through his power, release his power to redeem, to save our loved ones, to save our children. We can be praying for them, releasing God to work. Wow, it's another wow. What, What an invitation. This is the other side of the responsibility. It's such a neat invitation. We carry the Holy Spirit within us. We have regained the authority to rule on earth so we can push back those powers of darkness. We can push back the thief whose purpose is to steal, to kill and to destroy And we can release God's purpose, which was to give life and life in all its abundance. Amazing opportunity. This quote, there's a few really neat quotes. I had so many, it was hard to leave out ones, but I did leave out a lot. Um, It's by a man called Mr. Bounds, and he writes, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be, the mightier the forces against evil. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Just because God has chosen to limit his involvement on earth to mankind doesn't mean that he's hands off because we've seen from these stories that God initiates, God prompts, God speaks. He just needs us to be listening and then obedient. God's very proactive. He really is the one seeking and searching and prompting. Remember the questions I gave at the beginning about some toxic thinking? That... God is going to do what he wants anyway, so doesn't really need me to pray, does he? And the other one, Kesara, Sarah, what will be, will be. My prayers are powerless to influence what's going on. They're wrong. Can you see that they're wrong? I hope you can understand. Totally toxic. Our prayers do influence what's going to happen. But the key, I guess the master key behind all of this is to pray his will on earth. So we need to know his will. So intimacy. You had, was it you that you had the word intimacy this morning? Or intimate moment in, in worship? We need intimacy with God. That's the master key, to develop relationship with him. It's all out of a love relationship with him. And then we see more, we hear more, we sense and perceive more what the Spirit is saying. We join hands with him and we pray his will on earth. And when we pray those sorts of prayers, um, we have all power my last quote, all power to, um, that all power is released. 
um, this guy, Mr. Tory, he says, prayer can do anything God can. All that God is, all that God has, is at the disposal of prayer. Prayer really is the most powerful force on earth. The key being God's will on earth. God's promptings, praying his will. Not ours, his. Now I just want to finish off with a story. I love stories. That's a true story. And it just ties everything in together. It's uh, from Dutch Sheets, a book called Authority in Prayer. Fabulous book. He's a very good author. So the following story is written by a doctor and um, he worked in Central Africa. And it's a true story. One night, I had worked hard to help a mother in the labour ward, but despite of all we could do, she died, leaving us with a tiny premature baby and a crying two-year-old daughter. We would have difficulty keeping the baby alive as we had no incubator. We had no electricity to run an incubator. We also had no special feeding facilities. And although we lived on the equator, nights were often chilly and there were treacherous drafts. One student midwife went for the box that we had for such babies and the cotton wool that the baby would be wrapped in. Another went to stoke up the fire and fill up the hot water bottle. She came back shortly in distress to tell me that in filling the bottle it had burst. Rubber perishes easily in tropical climates. And it was our last water bottle, she exclaimed. All right, I said, put the baby as near to the fire as you can and sleep between the baby and the door to keep it from the drafts. Your job is to keep the baby warm. The following noon, as I did on most days, I went to have my prayers with any of the orphanage children who chose to gather around me. I gave the youngsters various suggestions about what to pray and I told them about the baby and that it could so easily die if it got chills. And I also told them of the two-year-old sister crying because her mother had died. During the prayer time, one ten-year-old girl, Ruth, prayed with the usual concise bluntness of our African children. Please, God, she prayed, send us a water bottle. It'll be, it'll be no good tomorrow, God, as the baby will be dead. So please send it this afternoon. Gulp. <laughs> While I gasped inwardly, at the audacity of the prayer, she added, and while you are about it, God, could you please send a dolly for the little girl so she'll know that you really love her. As often with children's prayers, I was put on the spot. Could I honestly say amen? I just did not believe that God could do this. Oh yes, I know he can do everything. The Bible says so. 
There are limits, aren't there? The only way God could answer this particular prayer would be by sending me a parcel from my homeland. I had been in Africa for almost four years at the time, at that time, and I had never, ever received a parcel from home. Anyway, if anyone did send me a parcel, who would put in a hot water bottle? I lived on the equator. Halfway through that afternoon, while I was teaching in the nurses' training school, a message was sent that there was a car at my front door. By the time I reached home, the car had gone. But there on the veranda was a large 22-pound parcel. I felt tears pricking my eyes. I could not open that parcel alone, so I was sent for the orphanage children. Together we pulled off the string, carefully undoing each knot. We folded the paper, taking care not to tear it. Excitement was mounting. Some 30 or 40 pairs of eyes were focused on the large cardboard box. From the top, I lifted out brightly coloured knitted jerseys. Eyes sparkled as I gave them out. Then there were knitted bandages for the leprosy patients and a box of mixed raisins and sultanas. Then, as I put my hand in again, I felt the, could it really be? I grasped it and pulled it out. Yes, a brand new hot water bottle. Just excuse me. I find it amazing. I cried. I asked God, and I had not asked God to send it. I had not truly believed that He could. It was Ruth, a 10 year old girl. She was in the front row of the children. She rushed forward crying out, if God has sent a bottle, he must have sent the dolly too. And rummaging down to the bottom of the box, she pulled out the small, beautifully dressed dolly. She had never doubted. Looking up at me, she said, can I go over with you and give this dolly to that little girl so she'll really know that Jesus loves her. That parcel had been on its way for five whole months. Packed up by my former Sunday school class, whose leader had heard, that, heard and obeyed God's prompting to send a hot water bottle even to the equator. And one of the girls had put in a dolly for an African child five months before in answer to the believing prayer of a 10-year-old to bring it that afternoon. Isn't that amazing? God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. He can see into the future and saw that in five months' time there would be a prem baby and a burst hot water bottle and he prompted the Sunday school teacher to package up this package and put those items in and then five months passes, this girl prays. 
that afternoon advice and answer to prayer. That's our God. That's our God. I hope you've been challenged and I hope you really now realise that God works through your prayers because he's chosen to do it that way. Uh, We thought you will. Okay, thank you, Rob.